Hi all, welcome back to another week with 5WH. As always, I'm your host, Joe, a former security analyst, and we're going to be rattling through some global events that tend to miss the news. Brexit, COVID and Trump should get name-checked at best, and we'll be doing this in the 5WH format. That is, who, what, where, when, why and how, as that gives me a good guide rail to stop going down too many rabbit holes, and will hopefully be enough to spark your interest if you want to dig a bit further yourself. So, as always, we're going to jump in with our what. Recently, a large number of Pakistani opposition parties formed an alliance in an effort to oppose the current Prime Minister of the country, who is broadly seen to be in cahoots with the military and intelligence services, who in turn exert extensive influence over the country and are seen as immune to democratic accountability. They triggered this uh, with a declaration on live TV stating that, quote, the military establishment should stop every kind of interference in politics forthwith, end quote. To emphasise this, this was given in a live television broadcast across the entire country, in a, in a place where open criticism of the military is extremely unusual, which makes this stand out as a, you know, a diversion from the political norms within the country. Uh, additionally, and where significance may increase in future, a key part of their published plan is to seek nationwide protests in the months coming forward. So we need to uh, break down who's involved with this. So I think it makes sense to start with the parties that uh, build up the so-called Pakistan Democratic Movement. This coalition is made of six separate parties, uh, two of which, though, are particularly worthy of note. So starting from the top, we've got the... Uh, Pakistan People's Party, uh, headed by Asif Ali Zadari, uh, who's currently on bail on corruption charges. The party is generally considered a centre-left social democratic party and is affiliated with the Socialist International, uh, performing one of the big three parties in Pakistan, the other two of which are the Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz and the Pakistan Tariq e Insaf, which we'll be coming to later. Um, generally, uh, aside from its uh, social democratic leanings, the party has a strong position on maintaining the national defence, uh, which may initially appear to be a bit of a contradiction given its uh, newly acquired loyalty to a anti-military authority movement. However, this contradiction doesn't actually hold up to much scrutiny, as in, at least in Western democracies, we accept that civilian leadership of the military is necessary, so seeking to reduce the military's influence on civilian politics does not necessarily uh, go against the party's general support otherwise for national defence matters. In terms of what this party brings to the table, they have 20 of 104 Senate seats, 55 of 342 National Assembly seats, and they have a majority in one regional assembly, which is Sindh. So following on, we've got another one of the big three parties. We've got the Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz. Uh, this is currently headed by Nawaz Sharif, a three times former prime minister, who is currently living in self-imposed exile in London, having been convicted twice for corruption in absentia. This party is broadly centre-right, uh, with a sort of free market leaning, and is socially conservative, with links to the Muslim League and other Islamist parties. Broadly, however... Uh, it favours a cooperative foreign policy, uh, aiming to seek a balance between the West and other states such as China, and also seeks uh, better relations with India. Uh, what we need to understand 
briefly here is that Pakistan's foreign and military policy is often viewed through the lens of its ongoing, shall we say, cold relations with its larger neighbour. And a key part of the military or ISI's power base is based on the threat of the other, i.e. India. So a party seeking more cooperative relationships with its neighbour would almost uh, naturally fit into a an anti-military domination sort of coalition. So it seems to be a pretty good natural fit here. Uh, again, in terms of what it brings to this coalition, the party currently has 30 of 104 Senate seats and 84 of 342 National Assembly seats, in addition to holding majorities in two regional assemblies. Uh, also, in addition to the Triple P and the PMLN, uh, reporting suggests that four other smaller parties have also joined this coalition, although I'm having trouble finding English-language sources identifying who they are. Um, please consider yourself forgiven if, like me, you're having a bit of a flashback to Monty Python's Life of Brian scene in the amphitheatre with lots of acronym-named parties. I can imagine them having a, a similar discussion in a few months, accusing each other of being splitters. But, uh, yeah, bad joke aside, let's get on with it. Moving on, we now need to have a look at the party that is the target of this um, ayah, shall we say. We've got Pakistan Tariq il Insaf. Uh, apologies again, as always, for pronunciation. This party is headed by Imran Khan, which, yes, you heard correctly, I am referring to the former international cricketer, uh, to which they've you know, fully embraced his leadership by using their cricket bat as their symbol on electoral uh, ballot cards. Um the PTI, as we'll abbreviate it to, came to power on a popular and heavily supported anti-corruption mandate. Uh, one could almost suggest that they um, promised to drain the swamp, but I have no idea why that slogan sounds so familiar. Broadly speaking, uh, the party stood on a manifesto that would be broadly uh, receptive to Western influences, uh, looking at addressing issues of religious tolerance, uh, greater representation for minorities, and a far more unified national education policy. Um, in addition, they also proposed civilian control of the military, with the ISI, we'll be referring to them later, reporting directly to the Prime Minister and also allowing uh, audit of the defence budget. This has not happened to date. Uh, something that their opposition are quick to call out as U-turns, although, you know, we, well, we'll cover this more in a second. Uh, additionally, and possibly of particular interest, the PTI also hoped to firm up uh, Pakistan on a foreign policy footing uh, and isolate it, or no, isolate's the wrong word, sort to separate it somewhat from the US, uh, a relationship that many Pakistanis presently view as somewhat exploitative, uh, PTI promised a policy based on dignity and self-respect, uh, and while also promising to cease Pakistan's receipt of foreign aid payments. This is a particularly interesting point, given that uh, foreign aid accounts for a significant por uh, portion of Pakistan's economy. With regards to its large neighbour, uh, PTI promised to solve the Kashmir issue, which is the uh, the border zone that's currently causing trouble with India and has done since a war the two parties fought in the mid-20th century. Um, however, it is worth noting that that also has not happened to date. It's a bit like um, Jared Kushner, for example, promising to solve the Israel-Palestine issue. Um, it's one of those geopolitical intractables that has resisted 
you know, good quality individuals for the best part of half a century with no end in sight as yet. Um, anyway, getting away from some uh, political sideshows, um, broadly they have 17 Senate seats, which is obviously well short of anything close to majority, and 156 seats in the National Assembly. It's worth noting this falls short of a majority. This is of particular relevance later when we're discussing the coalition's tactics uh, uh, to be used against them. Uh, They also, however, do have uh, majorities and government in three of the six regional assemblies, so they have significant local power uh, throughout Pakistan. So rounding off our WHO, we also need to have a very quick glance at the uh, military and intelligence services that Pakistan employs, uh, as obviously their influence on the political system is a key driver behind the formation of this coalition. I'm going to have to be quite rigorous and keep this quite short as the involvement of these services throughout Pakistan is, I don't know, it's a topic for, a, well, several books, I'm sure, in itself. So we're going to keep it very succinct. Broadly speaking, the military currently has upwards of 653,000 active service troops across its various branches, and they're deployed both uh, internally in order to help stabilize the country, provide support to police and civil authorities and the like, and also on borders with its neighbors. Um which we'll cover in a minute, and you can see that there's some troubles there that make uh, protection of the state a very real concern for Pakistan and do feed significantly into the power base that the military exploit. We also have the ISI, or Inter-Services Intelligence uh, Organization. Details of them are, as I guess you'd expect from their role, somewhat less freely available, but it's worth noting that they are widely known to be active uh, in Pakistan's near abroad, with particular emphasis on known meddling in Afghanistan, um, where I believe they have uh, been found to have acted in support of certain groups operating against the Western coalition in the country, uh, which is a somewhat challenging position for the Pakistani government given the aforementioned uh, foreign aid situation. Well, thankfully, following on from that monster of a WHO section, we have a nice brief when. The the coalition was announced on the 20th of September at a multi-party conference in Islamabad. Uh, It's worth noting, actually, just for interest and to expand on the the when section slightly, that a coalition of very similar name was created in the mid to late 20th century in direct opposition to uh, the military dictatorship that governed Pakistan at the time. And... Again, I can't prove causation, but it seems like the naming of this movement is deliberately designed to hark back to that forerunner. So we're now coming on to the where issue. We're going to divvy this up into a couple of sections. One, looking at Pakistan and why this matters to the rest of us around the world. And then we'll have a quick whiz through some of the issues relating to um, the basis of these parties and how it will affect local dynamics. But again, this is something that could be a dissertation in its own right, so we're going to keep it Uh, pretty short. Broadly, Pakistan is a maritime nation uh, in Central Asia, uh, bordering Afghanistan, India and Iran. Uh, Because of its location, it has significant strategic relevance. Not only does it border countries that uh, have been at the centre of international crises recently, it is also the, uh, the nation which provides best maritime access into the Central Asian region, or the the Stans, as you could colloquially call them, particularly as Iran is under embargo 
due to its weapons program from the majority of Western states. So despite Pakistan's myriad issues of its own, um, its strategic and geographical relevance is undeniable. And it does mean that uh, the political twists and turns that the country takes are of relevance to a wider audience. So Pakistan's capital is Islamabad, and that was where the opposition coalition announced uh, that they were you know, coming into being. In addition to that, we need to think a little bit on the issue of regional assemblies. There are six of these within Pakistan, of which three are currently held by the government or Imran Khan's PTI party, and the remaining three are split between the two largest parties in this new opposition coalition. What this means is that there may be a disparity across the country in the political activities of this coalition and the effects that it may have. It's very difficult to say, however, as with any geographically uh, divvied up election system, sort of using first-past-the-post or similar, you can expect to see actually that all parties have some support all over, um, although the ethnic and tribal considerations within Pakistan means that there may well be localised hotspots. Um, again, this is a topic that would require far more in-depth analysis than I have time for, but it is something that should be considered when thinking about this problem. So now it's time to jump into the why. Ultimately, why has this coalition come into being, and why does it matter to the rest of us? I think we need to start from the top a little bit. The Pakistani constitution does actually dictate that the government, by which I mean the executive branch, should be independent from the political wranglings of the legislature and, I assume, the presidency. From this perspective, the power exerted by the military on the uh, Pakistani political system is inherently extra-constitutional. So, from a constitutional perspective, nothing this coalition is seeking to achieve is uh, you know, problematic. Indeed, it should already be the case. The fact that it isn't is what we need to address. However, we've also got some other issues that are playing into the why this is happening now. So, elections for the Senate um, are happening in March 2021. In some regard, you can see the formation of this coalition as part of an effort for opposition parties to set their platform, to begin to hang their flags and rally supporters to them. Um, Clearly, the earlier they do that, the stronger their base will be, and hopefully, for them, the better their turnout in the elections will be. We've also got some other issues. So, there are rampant allegations in Pakistan that the military supported uh, the PTI, the current government party, uh, in efforts to steal the 2018 election via intimidation um, and other, you know, other voter suppression efforts and so forth. Uh, in this case, uh, this establishment of a multi-party coalition can be seen as a necessity in order for them to overcome biases that can be imposed by a uh, rampantly out-of-control executive. Or at least, you know, that's how you could rationalise their actions. You can also see, though, that anti-corruption cases have been brought successfully against the leaders of both opposition parties. Now... As we've seen in other countries around the world, without naming names, uh, the use of anti-corruption suits against political rivals uh, is a frequently used tool of political harassment. Um, that said, Pakistan is also known to have 
quite extensive corruption issues. So there is probably there is probably fire for the smoke. Although it is worth noting that in PTI's efforts to air quotes drain the swamp, they appear to have demonstrated quite significant party bias in choosing where they're going to um, where they're going to deploy these efforts. Uh, so any uh, measure to oppose them and impose a more balanced uh, anti-corruption system would be probably welcome if, if we assume of course that democracy is a good thing and we want a smooth running one um, we've also got other questions here so the parties themselves the, the parties forming opposition have quite happily cooperated with the military extensively in their prior terms in power so we're looking at a question of are they actually after enhancing democracy or are they simply looking to to counter a threat to their own authority um i would counterpose this question pretty simply by going if you assume you want civilian uh control of the military rather than the other way around they don't actually you know need to prove the bona fides of these credentials simply civilian control is better that's the mark of a well as a westerner that's the mark of a functioning democracy so that's what should happen um and we also see that they openly state they want a parliament that's not simply a rubber stamp. They want an actual functioning parliament with a real say in the policies of the government. Um, is this a valid complaint? Do they have a leg to stand on? Well, it, well, it seems yes. Uh, the Pakistani Supreme Court has ruled on matters relating to this, uh, as has the uh, Islamic Council of Ideology and the Human Rights Watch report. Uh a somewhat eclectic combination actually they've all recommended the creation of law imposing a legal duty of accountability on state employees uh we're particularly thinking about um you know methods of controlling money controlling access to power tender processes and things like that this clearly isn't going to go over well with a party that uh with a military sorry that openly uses its power to essentially self-replicate itself uh you know, use its influence to um, entrench its own position. Uh, and there's no indication that were they to succeed in passing these laws, however, that they'd be any more successful in making them impartial than Khan's uh, done so since being in power. So the why, as you can see, is a, a bit of a, a maze. There's some short-term uh, political objectives with the elections next year. There's an actual long-term constitutional need to separate the military from political power, you know, which, you know, good luck to them. And th there's also, frankly, the fact that the, the opposition party feel hard done by in the fact that in any anti-corruption sweep, they're being picked up more than the government. Although, as I am, I cannot emphasize this enough, there is no evidence that they would be any less biased if the shoe were on the other foot. So... Having having looked at why, having looked at why the opposition parties might want to uh, deal with this issue now, we need to look at how they propose to do so. So we're going to break this down a little bit. So we're going to start off with tactics. Uh, a key emphasis on this is protest. The coalition has put forward a phased plan heading into the next elections, um, calling for phase one, large party rallies from October, phase two, quote, huge public demonstrations in December, close quotes, 
and phase three, a decisive long march towards Islamabad, uh, sort of around February, March next year. Now, I'm honestly not sure if this long march is the sort of million-man march type thing you see in the West, or this is a more um, metaphorical effort uh, in line with what you might see in sort of Chinese ideology when you've got the uh, long march and things like that. Um, in the interim, and off of the streets, they also have a strategy of refusing cooperation in the legislature. As we've seen, no party actually holds a majority uh, in the National Assembly or the Senate, so refusing cooperation could be a viable tool for stalling government until they can uh, either win more seats through electoral processes or impose other changes on the methods of government. That said, there have been some early fractures. Um, I do not have the details immediately to hand, but in a vote immediately after this announcement, some parties who were members of this coalition did actually wind up voting alongside the government. So it's it's an open question as to how much this coalition will actually have an effect in the day-to-day -day operations of the state and how much of it's simply a rhetorical uh, manoeuvre coming up to elections and similar. So that sort of addresses the, the sort of dissent in the management and the, their alignment of policies. And we need, we need to consider as well that the parties in this coalition, we've got the broadly centre-left and the broadly centre-right parties, they, they are ideologically dissimilar. Um, they're united perhaps in their opposition to the PTI and Imran Khan and potentially, authentically, to military control or influence over the political system. But they're not natural bedfellows. Um, I see further issues stemming from here. We've also then got to look at how they're going to engage any stakeholders. So whether we like it or not, at the moment, Pakistan's democracy is pressurised, shall we say, from multiple directions. Um, firstly, various areas of the country come under different uh, tribal or local systems that do not necessarily interface perfectly with the state. Uh, I've yet to see any evidence that any of these parties have taken steps to move outside their normal base to engage stakeholders that may help them with their uh, planned ascent. And also, ultimately, the, the military exerts influence. So it's worth noting that about four days before the announcement for this uh, coalition was made, that the leaders of the opposition parties met with senior army and security officials um, in, in a publicised meeting. Now, there's a few interesting bits to tease out of this. And firstly, the army summoned the opposition party leaders to this meeting. Um, you know, that's a very clear power dynamic there. The army is exerting its influence over opposition parties. They summoned, at their own will, the leaders of opposition parties to attend. There was no if, buts, or maybes. Um, and it demonstrates the power of the military that the opposition parties, despite their anti-military power stance, felt obliged to attend. It's also a bit Orwellian to note that after this <clears throat> publicised speech, uh, sorry, meeting, um, the army put out a statement stating they are not interested in interfering with politics and that it's up to politicians to sort out their issues. Um, it is somewhat unusual, at least for us in the West perhaps, to see that the army felt the need to express that having summoned political leaders to attend to their chief of staff. Don't want to say too much more on that. I think, uh, you know, well, I'm sure you can see where we're leading here. Um, 
And we've also got issues with foreign states. So as we've covered earlier, the parties have very different foreign policy stances. Uh, the PTI, Imran Khan's party, is anti-foreign aid and engagement, um, particularly looking to sort of stand on its own. A bit, a bit of a uh, make Pakistan great again, perhaps, uh, sort of position. Whereas the two opposition parties have a slightly more pro-integration view, um, although they have perhaps disparate opinions on what to do about India. Um, ultimately, the reason this matters to us is that Pakistan's reliance on foreign aid is extensive, um, and therefore any disruption to this flow runs the risk of fundamentally impacting on the country as a whole, uh, and therefore may lead to either an increase or decrease in stability going forwards. We also need to, even if we uh, look away from foreign aid, so the donations from the state, uh, the United States or Europe, the economy otherwise is in a, f yeah, not in the best of ways. Um, there's recently been a six billion dollar loan from the International Monetary Fund, um, and again, th this just, while the loan itself may not have bearing on the issues we're addressing, it's an indicator that the country is not as stable as it could be, and that the prospect of if the plans go ahead, you know, phased series of political rallies and public demonstrations are unlikely to contribute to more stability. So, I mean, I I guess it's time to wrap up. Um, looking at it, as always, it is kind of becoming a trite expression, but we've raised more questions than answers, as always. I think in the short term, we're unlikely to see a significant change in Pakistan's political environment but depending on the scales and success or otherwise of the protests the coalition plans, we may see some change moving forward into the early months of next year and into the uh, Senate elections uh, in about March. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll see how this we'll see how this goes, and it, the results of this coalition do have ramifications to the wider Central Asian region. But anyway, so I think that more or less tidies it up. If you'd like to hear more, please like, follow, review, whatever is appropriate. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at 5WH, unimaginative I know. Uh, please add a comment, tell me if you like it or not, give me some feedback, tell me what you'd like to address more. Um, you know, I, I really want to develop this a little bit, and I, I hope you're feeling some value from it as well.